Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. I have the privilege this morning of, of welcoming uh, our guest speaker, uh, Talisi Guerra. She is a author, communicator, mom, husband, and hopefully wife, sorry, wife of a husband. I just looked at Ryan. It's, uh, yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> and, uh, and, and new friend for, uh, for Adriana and I. We, we had the privilege of um, getting to chat with them recently, spend some time together, and uh, we're, we're looking forward to even just more friendship days ahead. Uh, we love their little girls that we got to see this morning, and they're running around, uh, and they already love our little one as well. So uh, it's our, our privilege, and so if you could welcome with me to the stage, Talisee. Thanks so much for the warm welcome, Jason, and for the invitation. So good to be with you this morning, City Collective Church. Um, just got to say something about Jason. We, like he mentioned, we're just starting to get to know each other, but my husband Ryan has known him for a while. They're in a leadership cohort together. And I'm so thankful that Langley has pastors like this leading in this community. And I just wanted to say before I dive into anything that we just appreciate Jason and Adriana so much. They are the real deal. So you guys are blessed to have them here leading this community. We're going to be continuing on in the series on Proverbs that uh, you guys have been journeying through in this church over the summer months. But before we get into that, I wanted to start with something a little bit more light, a little bit more fun. We're going to play a little game called Zoom In, Zoom Out. All right? And it's nothing crazy. I'm not going to make you get up out of your seats again. Don't have to have any more conversations with strangers. Nothing like that. Uh, so if you heard the words, we're going to play a little game and started having heart palpitations. Just take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. Um, all I'm going to do is I'm just going to put a picture up on the screen. But it's not just going to be any picture. It's going to be a super zoomed-in picture. So from what you see, you're just going to have to try to guess uh, what, if we were to zoom it out, what you're looking at, okay? And so, you know what, introverts in the room, where my introverts at? None of them put up their hands. Oh, a few of them put up their hands. <laughs> we're all introverts. I'm an introvert too. Don't worry about it. It's nothing, nothing crazy. This game is going to be gentle to you. If you want to make the guess internally, quietly, go ahead and do that, introverts. Uh, if you're an extrovert, shout out the answer if you want to. There are no real rules here, all right? So tech team, can we go ahead and get that first picture up on the screen? All right. So here's your image. Have a good look. Look at the colors. Look at the shading. Look at the lines. What do you think we're looking at here. Once we zoom this out, what's it gonna be? Anybody have any ideas? I think everybody is whispering among themselves. I think everyone is sufficiently on the edge of their seats. All right, let's go ahead and show us the zoomed out version. So if you guessed little baby Jason Charles laying in front of a fireplace with a strange Garfield doll and, oh, is that, is this, this is you, right? This is me. This is you, okay. We've got, like, there's this Garfield doll, it's wearing like bunny slippers, it's, wear, it's got a tiny teddy bear. If that was your guess, you win a prize because that's an incredible guess. Uh, 
beautiful. Don't you wish we could just do this all morning? Like, just go through Jason's baby book. That would be great. I don't know if he'd invite me back, though, so we'll continue on. I do promise, though, there's a reason why we started with a game of zoom in, zoom out. The, and it's not just because I'm a recovering children's pastor. That might be one reason. But um, we started with this game because this is kind of what we're going to be doing with the text this morning. We're going to start by zooming in on one verse, Proverbs 12, 20. We're going to zoom in on that verse. And then we're going to zoom out. In fact, we're going to zoom way out. If we could imagine that photo of Jason, little baby Jason laying in front of the fireplace, if we zoomed it even further and we saw this, the, the house that he's in or the city that he's in, we're going to zoom way out and we're going to understand how this one verse sort of fits into the entire narrative of scripture. And then once we've done that, we're going to zoom back in and we're going to start to understand how the individual pixels play a role in a much bigger picture. So we're gonna start with a look at Proverbs 12:20, and then buckle your seatbelts, friends, because we're gonna cover a lot of ground this morning. So zoom in with me, if you will, on Proverbs 12:20. It says this, deceit is in the hearts of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. Let's just read that one more time. Deceit is in the hearts of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. What do we have here? You know, at face value, when we're zoomed in at this level, what do we have here? We have a wise proverb. We have some good advice. We have a great tweet. But on its own, it really it, it doesn't tell the whole story. You know, it's almost like that zoomed in picture that's kind of like, pixelated, doesn't tell you what's all going on, and honestly, kind of leaves me with more questions than answers, you know? Like, I look at that part about plotting evil, and I think, like, what is, who's that talking about? You know, that seems so extreme to me, plotting evil. Is this, like, a supervillain? You know, like, Thanos is gonna snap his finger and blip away half the world's population? You know, that kind of plotting evil? Or could the author be talking about something else? Could this be me? I wonder that. And then that part about promoting peace, I want to know a little bit more about that because the verse says that if I promote peace, that I'm going to have joy. And who doesn't want a little bit more of that in their lives these days? Am I right? You know, like th the Bible says anything about joy and my ears perk up, I start to pay attention because joy is one of those things that we all want more of. And yet, so many of us, it seems like it's so hard for us to achieve. And our world, our world is hurting. Our world is desperate for joy. We want joy. We all want to experience joy. We all want to experience happiness. And yet, we're living in this world that is just overwhelmed by stress and, and worry and depression and fear. We're desperate for joy in this world. Our world is suffering. But here's the thing about joy and suffering that I find really interesting. The Bible actually connects the two. The Bible actually builds this critical link between joy and suffering that I think we need to pay attention to and that we often don't pay attention to. In Romans 5 verses 3 and 4, it says that we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. Paul says we rejoice in or we take joy in our sufferings. So it's not just suffering alone that produces these 
qualities in our lives, but it's this experience of authentic joy in the midst of suffering that causes us to grow in these three critical ways. It causes us to grow in endurance, it causes us to mature in character, and it causes us to develop hope. And I don't know about you guys, but I need those qualities in my life right now. I need endurance. I need endurance to be able to continue walking through the difficult season that my family has found itself in in the last few months. And I need character. I need character to know how to respond when somebody mistreats me. And I need hope. Like, I need hope to know that there is something better in this world than what I keep experiencing over and over and over in this broken world. We all need hope. We all need character. We all need endurance. And the Bible ties these three qualities, the growth of these three qualities, to this experience of authentic joy in the midst of suffering. How does that make any sense? <laughs> like, I ask myself that question a lot when I'm reading scripture. How does this make any sense? Jesus, let me get this straight. You want me to experience joy while I'm suffering so that I can get the endurance and the character and the hope that I need to deal with the suffering. And then Proverbs 12:20 says that I have to somehow promote peace to get the joy so that I can get the endurance and the character and hope. Like, this seems a little complicated, doesn't it? That's why we're going to zoom way out today. Because I believe that scripture interprets scripture. And I think that as we start to look at that big picture, it'll help us to maybe navigate a few of these questions. So just before we dive into this this morning, I'd love to invite you to pray with me. Jesus, you are the author and the perfecter of our faith. Thank you that when we come up against big questions about what your word means, that we can bring those to you, that we can trust you with those, and, and trust that it is your desire that we actually know you deeper and that we come closer to you and understand your word so that we can grow in our relationship with you. That's so beautiful. Thank you for that. I pray that you would guide us this morning as we d dive into Proverbs 12:20, and ultimately into sort of the theme that we will see is, that is woven through scripture. Guide us and speak to us and transform our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's dive in. Before anything else, I just want to say this. Most chapters or sections of the Bible sort of seem to have, you know, a, a consistent context that all of its parts sort of point towards, whether that's through narrative or that's through poetry or Jesus giving a sermon. Proverbs is a little bit different, though, because Proverbs to me feels a little bit all over the place. It kind of feels like you're getting whiplash as you go from one proverb to the next, and it covers all of these different topics. Of course, the, the, the full book of Proverbs has its themes, which Jason laid out for you as this series began back in the beginning of the summer. But the different chapters don't seem to be organized neatly with those themes in them, at least certainly not in a way that feels sufficient to an Enneagram one like me. So <laughs> I would like to see it a little bit more structured. That being said, chapter 12 is a bit different. Chapter 12 has really a very clear and consistent theme throughout. And we're going to take a look at that theme today because not only is that theme uh, very clear throughout 
chapter 12 of Proverbs, but it is also one that is kind of woven through the entire fabric of Scripture. And we're going we're gonna to unpack that theme this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me or your devices. We'll put it up on the screen. Join me in Psalm chapter 1. And yes, I said Psalms. I know we're in Proverbs. It's a different book, but we're going to start in Psalm 1 this morning. It says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So here we see two very clear paths. We see the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. One leads to blessing and the other to ruin. And we see that in in verse 6 as it wraps up, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. It really doesn't leave an awful lot of space for nuance. You know, in life there's a lot of nuance. But sometimes in scripture there's a lot of clarity, and this is one of those times. Because it very clearly lays out these two paths on which we can be walking as we navigate through life. And as we walk on these paths, it will sort of define where we're at with God relationally, And where we're at when it comes to living out the gospel and kingdom values. And it's not a coincidence, by the way, that Psalms begins with this chapter. The book of Psalms is not actually just this like random mishmashed collection of poems slapped together in the middle of this ancient Hebrew text known as the Old Testament. The book of Psalms, interestingly enough, is actually intentionally broken down into five distinct sections. And it's done this way to mirror and represent the Pentateuch or the Torah. If you're not familiar with those words, I'm referring to the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, everybody's favorite, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So these, these are referred to in the, in the Hebrew as the Torah and in the Greek as the Pentateuch. It's the law portion of the Hebrew Old Testament. And so the book of Psalms is broken down this way to represent the Pentateuch. And then this, this Psalm 1 is placed here right at the beginning so that as you begin to navigate through the Psalms, through this book that represents God's law, as you navigate through these five sections, it all comes back here. It all comes back to Psalm 1. It all comes back to these two paths, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Psalm 1 is really designed to help us continue asking this question, am I walking in the way of the righteous or am I walking in the way of destruction? And it's a perfect mirror of what happens in the Pentateuch. We see this in Deuteronomy 11 where God lays out this blessing and this curse, a blessing for those who obey and a curse for those who disobey. It's what many scholars refer to as the Deuteronomic principle. And it lays out these two paths. And we continue to see these two paths throughout all of Scripture, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. We see it in the Pentateuch. We see it in the Psalms. We continue to see it throughout the Old Testament. And then we continue to see it again 
throughout the New Testament. So when we get to the New Testament, we get to the book of Matthew, and Jesus begins his teaching, his ministry, and he's teaching his famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. As he comes to the end of this sermon, he begins to wrap it up. He gives us four representations of these two paths. He starts by talking about two specific roads. He says there's this narrow gate and a narrow road that leads to life. And then there's this wide gate and a broad road that leads to destruction. And then he talks about uh, these two paths for teachers, true teachers and false teachers who can bear good fruit or who can bear bad fruit. And then he says there's two paths for disciples, true disciples and false disciples. And then he wraps it all up with this familiar story that many of us have heard of the wise and the foolish builders. The wise builder built his house upon the rock. Upon the, he built his life upon the foundation of God's word, of God's law, upon the teachings of Jesus. And his house withstands the storm. But then there's this foolish builder who builds his house on the sand, who doesn't walk in the way of the righteous, who doesn't build his life upon God's law, and as a result, his house comes crashing down when the storm starts to rage around him. And it reminds me of Psalm 1-6, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction, just like the houses of the wise and the foolish builders. So we have two paths, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And so, so when you come back to Proverbs 12, and you start to look at it through the lens of this theme that is woven through the fabric of Scripture, and you begin to read verse by verse in Proverbs 12, you realize that every single verse in this chapter points to at least one of these two paths. In fact, 26 out of the 28 verses in this chapter points to a contrast between both of the paths. So we see them both represented. And then the other two verses, verse 14 and verse 28, show us specifically, specifically emphasizes the way of the righteous. And I thought we could just take a look at a couple of examples of the contrast here in Proverbs 12. We'll look at verses, or just the first few verses. Verse one says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. We've got the way of the righteous. But whoever hates correction of the wicked. By the way, please don't tell my kids that the Bible uses the word stupid. I don't need that headache. <laughs> Verse 2, good people obtain favor from the Lord, the way of the righteous, but he condemns those who devise wicked schemes, the way of the wicked. Verse 3, no one can be established through wickedness, starts over here this time, but the righteous cannot be uprooted. My personal favorite, verse 4, a wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like a decay in his bones. And many of you have met my husband, Ryan. He walked in here this morning. His bones are just fine. <laughs> <laughs> what I really wanted to do here is I, I thought, oh, it would be so awesome to kind of dive into a little Hebrew poetry lesson because I'm a word nerd and I like that kind of thing. Talk a bit about parallelism and antithetic parallelism, which we see all throughout this text, and talk about the structure of this this whole chapter, because I think it's really cool, but we don't have time for that this morning, and probably a lot of you are breathing a sigh of relief, uh, because maybe you're not into that kind of thing. If you are, hit me up sometime, we'll have a chat. Um, but, but we're going to move on. We've already covered a lot of ground this morning, and we're going to continue to cover some ground, so take a, catch your breath if you need to. 
I really wish I did have some more baby pictures of Chase and Charles, because this would be a good time for some more zoom in, zoom out. Um, let's just recap. We're talking about these two paths. We're talking about the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And the commentary on these two paths spans the full narrative of Scripture. And this is significant because what this does is it actually begins to set the stage for what Jesus would do when he came and died on the cross. Because without that, none of us can make it on the way of the righteous. None of us can make it there. And so with that in mind, as we come back to Proverbs 12 and we start to look at each of these individual statements, we realize that these Proverbs are, are more than just good advice. You know, they're, they're these little tidbits. They're not just pithy statements. They're not just fortune cookie phrases. They're not just trending tweets, but these are actual invitations into gospel-minded kingdom living. Which brings us back to Proverbs 12:20. Zoom in. Deceit is in the hearts of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. What do we have? Not at face value, not when we're just, you know, super zoomed in on this pixelated image, but when we take a look at the big picture, what do we have here? We have the gospel. We have the actual experience of Jesus who showed us what it looks like to walk the literal path of righteousness all the way to the cross where at the hands of wicked and deceived plotting men he died to promote peace and produce joy for all of humanity. Hebrews 12, 2 reminds us that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And sometimes for me, when I think about this idea of Jesus enduring the cross, I forget about the joy part. And I, I, I forget that he did this to give me something. I, I think about it as just Jesus did this to take something away. You know, we teach this to our kids. Why did Jesus die? He died to take away my sins. But there's so much more to it than that. See, Jesus didn't just die to take away my sins. Jesus also died to bring something. Jesus didn't just die to purge our problems. Jesus also died to promote peace. Jesus didn't just die to purge our problems. Jesus also died to promote peace. Peace between a perfect God and sinful humanity. Peace between oppressed and oppressor. Peace between us and ourselves. And what was the result? Joy. Joy for all of us. Joy. Inexpressible and glorious joy, as Peter puts it in 1 Peter 1 verses 8 and 9, and I've got to read that to you because that's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. It says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. 
for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is what peace promotion is all about. This is what the way of the righteous leads to. This is why Paul says that we can experience joy in the midst of our suffering and as a result, grow in endurance and character and hope along the journey because at the end of it all, at the end of it all, is inexpressible and glorious joy for all of us. And so in the meantime, as we navigate this crazy world that is filled with deception and plotting wicked schemes, <laughs> we can become people who promote peace. That's the promise. We can have our lives changed and shaped by this gospel message of promoting peace. And we can actually pursue the path of the righteous knowing that Jesus has gone before us as the great trailblazer to prepare the way for us. And we can breathe a sigh of relief realizing it's not our efforts, it's not our works that, you know, somehow we have to strive to promote peace to therefore create this joy. It's not about that. As we follow the Prince of Peace on the way of the righteous, joy becomes for us an inheritance, a gift. Not so on the alternate path. People who are walking the other path may very well feel they have found some level of joy in this lifetime. They may experience happiness in this lifetime. But make no mistake, the Bible is abundantly clear on this point. The way of the wicked leads to destruction. Wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. So the question this leaves me with then is how do I make sure I'm on the right path? You know, how do I make sure that I'm on the one that ends in joy and not the one that ends in destruction? And then once I'm on that path, how do I actually make sure that I stay on that path? Well, I think Proverbs 12 has a couple of insights for us that we can look at. And this isn't an exhaustive list. Um, there are lots of ways to do this. But we're going to have a look at the, that same verse that we zoomed in on, Proverbs 12:20, And there are a couple of insights that we're going to just draw from this specific verse. And the first one is this. We need to prioritize and pursue truth. Prioritize and pursue truth. Why? Because deceit is in the hearts of those who plot evil. And John 8, reminds us that deception originates with Satan because the lying is his language and he is the father of fraud. And so we need to make sure, we need to create some checks and balances in our lives to ensure that we're actually prioritizing truth because we are all susceptible to deception all of us, in all areas of our lives. It's easy to kind of dismiss this idea of plotting evil because it really, for me at least, conjures up these grand caricatures of like cartoon devils with horns and a pitchfork, right? But no, 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 this, the reality is, is that deception is sneaky enough to worm its way into all of our hearts. Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful above all else and beyond cure. Like wickedness is already in us. 
Deception is, is a cancer that has already infected the whole of humanity. And so this is, this is mission critical, that we begin to prioritize and pursue truth. And also that we remember that truth is not just a virtue, but that truth is a person. Truth is Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And to prioritize and pursue Jesus is to prioritize and pursue truth. And so, honestly, it's, this is going to sound cliche. It's going to sound like maybe an old school Sunday school answer. But the best way, I believe, for us to do this is, like, get in the word. You know, we need, this is truth. This is God's voice written down for us. And so often we just leave it to collect dust on the shelf But no, this is truth. There is truth here for us, and we have it accessible to us. We need to get in God's word. We need to know his word, study, remember, meditate on, chew on, you know, digest the truth that is available to us every single day. And I'm preaching to myself here because my life gets busy too. You know, I put it on the shelf more than I'd like to admit. We need to pursue and prioritize truth, get in the word of God, spend time in prayer, spend time with other believers because iron sharpens iron. We need to invest often and intentionally in an authentic relationship with Jesus. If we want to be people who find ourselves on the path of the righteous, we need to learn to prioritize and pursue truth. That's number one. And number two is this. We need to become people who promote and personify peace. Promote and personify peace. Deceit is in the hearts of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. Let me ask you this. Why do you think deceit is contrasted with the word peace in this verse? It's kind of strange because if I were to ask you like, hey, what's the opposite of deceit or what's the opposite of telling lies, you probably wouldn't say peace. You'd probably say telling the truth or honesty, right? Huh. Why do you think that is? I don't know if I have all the answers, but here's what I think. I think it's because deceit spreads chaos. Deceit disperses discord. And true peace can never, never dwell in a place where deception reigns. Because without truth, there is no peace. Without truth, there is no peace. But Jesus is the prince of peace. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And he's the prince of peace. And he's this, this ultimate truth teller. And it's like he comes and he says, look, there's an enemy who's pulled the wool over your eyes. You're walking around in darkness. He's like, let me switch on the light so that you can see what's actually going on. And he comes to set us free from this deception so that we can actually walk in the light and become people who embody peace because that's who he is. What I love about Proverbs 12, 20 is it's this invitation into this gospel-centric way of living where we actually are given this invitation to live in the calling and live in the identity that we've been given as image bearers of God. Jesus is truth. Jesus is peace. And he's saying, come on. Come on into this invitation and live in such a way that actually reflects the image you were created to bear. To become people who prioritize and pursue truth and who promote and personify peace. And let me just... Let me just say this. 
peace, this, it's not about sweeping stuff under the rug. It's not about that, you know. It's not about putting yourself in a situation where you're unhealthy or you're unsafe and you're not talking about it. That's not peace. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Jesus promises that in this life we'll have trouble. He promises that, and so it's not about that. But I think he wants to help us to learn what it looks like to lean into those places of conflict with this sort of steady resolve to pursue truth and reconciliation regardless of the cost, whether it's uncomfortable or awkward, even if it hurts, because that's what Jesus did. And we're invited into this gospel-centric way of living that looks like being an image bearer of God. If we want to be people who are walking in the path of the righteous, we need to become people who prioritize and pursue truth and who promote and personify peace. So as we wrap this up this morning, I just want to leave you with one final question. I just want to ask you to reflect on this question. What path are you taking steps on today? And, and it's not as big as which path am I walking on, because to me that's, that's zoomed out. That's like a big commitment, like say I'm walking on this path. Let's zoom in a little bit further because life really is just one step after one step after one step, right? So which path am I taking steps on today? I would like to invite you to just take some time to reflect on that today, this week, as you're relating with your kids or your spouse or your boss, as you're interacting with the grocery store clerk, as you're driving down the highway, as you're consuming content online, what path am I taking steps on today? Because the two paths are quite clear. What's not always as clear as which path we are walking on at a given moment. But I think it becomes more clear as we prioritize and pursue truth and as we promote and personify peace. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you that you give us this beautiful picture of the gospel, this beautiful picture of who you are, what you've done for us, and who you want us to be, and who we can be because of what you've done. Jesus, you are so good. You are so beautiful. You are truth. You are peace. As we reflect on these ideas this week, would you speak to our hearts? Would you turn on the lights for us to show us the places where deception has maybe taken up some real estate in our hearts and in our lives? Whether that's deceit about the way we perceive ourselves, maybe that's deceit about the way we're perceiving someone else or a situation we're in. God, would you just turn on the lights? Help us to see clearly. Guide us, Jesus as we begin to strive towards becoming people who prioritize and pursue truth and who promote and personify peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.